All right. Would like to welcome everybody out to the Parks and Rec Commission meeting this evening. If we could. <laughs> okay. All right. If we can have everyone's attention, we're ready to start. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> camp, like, camp thank you. Appreciate that, Julie. So, Summer camp voice. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> like to call this Parks and Rec Commission to, uh, meeting to order. I'd like to welcome all those uh, that are in attendance this evening and so grateful that you're here. Um, so we will uh, proceed. Yeah, I'll talk about, we, we have a little bit different setup tonight for those of you that have been with us for several meetings. So we, at the request of one of our audience members, um, they we couldn't hear us very well. So we've added microphones up here with a speaker going out towards the audience. Um, we'll try our best to speak into the mic for all the commission members as you speak. Um, members of the public, if you want to speak to the commission, we ask that you come up and speak into the mic as well so that the audience members as well can hear you. Um, we have some new faces. And just so you know, the other part of this is just like council meetings, any public comment or comment to any of the items is limited to three minutes. Um, we have our, our lovely shot clock here. It the buzzer does not go off. We will just raise our hand if we, assuming we set it up right. Um, so, just great. Appreciate that, Julie. Thank you. So, uh, proceeding to item number two on the agenda is the approval of the September thirteenth minutes. Is there a motion? Second. Second by missile. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay. And now we'll have any items of public comment uh, for items that aren't not included on the agenda. So this is the time uh, that you can take advantage of. And as Julie mentioned, if you would come forward and speak into the mic, if there are any items. I think they're all here for agenda items. All right, all here for agenda items. We'll continue on to item number four. So with Brad. Yeah. All right, good evening, everybody. Um, so the agenda item that I wanna discuss is the spring, the winter spring hours that we're looking at for uh, the Robert A. Lee Recreation Center swimming pool. Uh, we've been keeping track of attendance here in the last year. So it really kind of started towards the fall of last year when we started taking attendance and reporting those numbers back to commission each month. And we just recently at the recommendation of commission uh, modified the hours this fall um, to be 6.15 a.m. to 1 p.m. on the Monday through Friday schedule. And that was the main modification that we had made. So we've been tracking those hours um, in the last two months, so September and October. Um, the first part of September was a little uh, odd. We had an entryway project that was going over on at Mercer at the time, and so the whole facility over there was closed. And so we had a, a lot of influx of swimmers coming over here during that time for those two weeks. Um, in the first part of September, September 1st through the 15th. So what I did is I went back and looked at the hours, 6.15 to uh, 6.15 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, September 16th 
through the end of October and compared that to the numbers that we were seeing prior when we had the 6.15 a.m. to 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. time slots available to the public prior to that. Um, what I found when I was looking at those numbers in comparison to previous uh, months is that on average we were having about six to seven more people per day uh, using the swimming pool. So it does seem like during those two additional hours we have been getting some additional swimmers to the pool. So it is our recommendation, staff's recommendation, that we maintain those hours, the 6.15 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, um, into the winter and spring, and that we would revisit this topic in the summer as we prepare for the fall season. Any questions? Well, I just, you said that the numbers weren't reflective of the, true, of the normal attendees between the 15th or the 1st and the 15th. Yep. Do you have those numbers? I do, yeah. They're in your packet. Oh, okay. Those are October. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we were, we were getting close to, um, we had some 50s and 60s in addition to the water fitness classes that we had. So we were about double what we typically would see during that time frame. So, yeah, so that was a lot of the swimmers that were coming over from Mercer during that time. Given that response, was there any consideration to expand the hours further? Into the afternoon? Yeah. Later into the afternoon? No, not at this time. Any other? But I also mentioned that Kate's gone. That is part of the reason, too. What's that? I mentioned that Kate is part of oh. this. Yeah, so um, Kate Cannell, our aquatics recreation program supervisor, has recently left the position uh, as of two weeks ago. So um, so we're filling that position that's up for hire right now and it's posted. So we hope to have somebody in that role um, probably middle of January. So that was another factor that went into us not looking to really adjust the hours at this time also uh, or expanding the hours beyond what we already have. Any other questions from commission? Recommendation. Yeah, is there a recommendation to approve the hours as Brad had outlined from 6.15 through 1 p.m.? I recommend to approve the hours from 6.15 to 1 p.m. Is that second? I second that, yeah. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Thank you. Now move on to item number five and Tyler. We'll get our routine down. <laughs> so uh, the item is the REAP grant that we have um, received. We were just notified um, since the last meeting that um, you all had. Um, so it's for um, approximately $200,000 grant um, for improvements to the grounds at the Ashton House. 
Um, so it's something that uh, we worked with in coordination um, with Project Green on this. Um, it's uh, some desires and goals they've had for a while that we were able to work in. Um, we're finishing up some of our other um, REAP grants from previous years. If you remember, we've done a lot of um, natural resource um, uh, kind of uh, woodland restorations and, and things like that. So this is a, a good um, different type of um, use of REAP funds. Um, so for those of you who may not be familiar, REAP stands for Resource Enhancement and Protection. It is a grant program through the Iowa DNR um, and they, um, the state legislature designates a certain amount of funds each year up to 20 million. Um, they usually designate around 12 million and there's another 500,000 with the license plates you see that are the, um, like the Eagle and the Goldfinch and such. So um, that gets split out to cities of all different sizes. So there's different size groups. There's small communities, medium-sized communities, and large communities. And within those, there's different ranges of amounts you can apply for funding. So 200,000 is the max for our size of city. Um, anything 75,000 or below, it's 200,000. So um, the grant this time um, will be for improvements, like I said, to Ashton House grounds. Um, bunch of different things. There is a very popular part of the Iowa River Trail that goes through there. So some trail amenities, um, a bike fix-it station, some um, uh, uh, bike racks, um, a drinking fountain. Um, the water will also provide more access for irrigation of those grounds for the different plants and things that Project Green helps uh, maintain there. Um, and then there is a entry um, enhancement off of Normandy Drive to make it more um, visible um, along there. Um, there are other soft, um, like soft surface trails, a couple of small spurs of that. One leads to a um, fire pit area in the design, and um, then further from that, there is a bird blind area. Um, if you've ever been down there in the winter, it's one of the most popular spots for eagles, um, but a lot of other birds um, kind of in that uh, general area. And the, the neighborhood there um, has bluebird houses and everything all around, so it's, it's a very popular um, activity, birding um, in that neighborhood and in conjunction with Lower City Park there. Um, so those are the main enhancements. Uh, ADA path from Normandy um, Drive to the house as well with some bollard lighting and, and just some uh, entryway type um, uh, things to make it more visible um, as a, um, a park space and um, place that the public can go and use. Yeah, we want to be sure to really acknowledge Project Green, who's here in the audience. They're the ones that came to us with this idea. Uh, it's the second time we put in a grant for this work and are very thankful it's, it's successful. They designed the project, uh, worked with us you know, on the final, some of the details and what, what's appropriate and what our choices are, but really they're the powerhouse behind this grant um, and we'll be administering it and working through the entire process. So we're very, very thankful for that. Yeah, and that really strengthened the grant proposal as well. So when we get scored on the different um, categories, um, we scored really high on the um, public involvement and en engagement type part with it and uh, um, support from the community. So that's um, largely or, or almost completely um, um, thanks to Project Green on that. So um, that's kind of the update on it. I don't know if there's any actions that necessarily need to be taken, but um, just wanted to bring you up to speed on that. 
All right, our next item also has to do with the Ashton House and Project Green as well. Um, and this one we will be looking for a recommendation from the commission to either possibly change the uses of the Ashton House as Brad will talk to you about or leave it as is. And I need to start by first publicly apologizing to Project Green. We had, we had some communication issues and we did not get word to them at the beginning of when this was being considered. I sincerely apologize for that. For the commission, just so you know, Project Green um, maintains all the grounds around um, the Ashen House through thousands of hours of volunteer service. There's no way we could do that. Um, and they use the garage area of the building and some storage area in between. Um, they meet in the Ashen House. None of that is affected by the change that we're proposing. And I hope that we've communicated that and worked through that with Project Green. Um, the change has to do with private rentals, which Brad will talk to you about, um, and getting some other uses into the facility. So with that, I'll let Brad. All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some proposed changes that we are looking at for the use of the Ned Ashton House. Um, a little bit of history on uh, that house. We have a event management contract with the Ava Center. We've been utilizing that space since 2013 along with the Terry Truck. Terry Trueblood uh, Lodge. Um, and the Ava Center is a firm that we contract with um, that does the events out there. They manage the events, they manage the bookings. Um, and the idea behind Ashton House since 2013 when we first started this was that this is a beautiful space, well manicured, um, beautiful green space, beautiful old uh, building, uh, old home that is just very quaint. Uh, the idea was that it would be used for weddings, um, social gatherings, things of that nature. We've done a lot of marketing over the last 10 years to really try to generate interest in the Ned Ashton House. Uh, we, we advertise every year um, through the Gazette's uh, wedding guide, and we try to get it, the word out there that this can be used for weddings and other functions. We get a lot of open houses in May. Uh, tends to be really kind of the primary use. Last year, we had 28 bookings out there. Um, it generated about $11,000 in revenue. And to contrast that, I don't know the number off the top of my head for how many rentals we had at Terry Trueblood, but we generated $102,000 out there. So it's a pretty substantial difference. Um, our costs on that contract for Terry Trueblood, as far as like a prorated amount, is about half of the revenue that we generated. Over at Ashton House, our contracted amount is twice of the amount of revenue that we generated. So the thought was, you know, with our recreation centers kind of filling up, um, Mallory Smizer is our recreation program supervisor of adaptive and inclusive recreation and outreach. She's a certified therapeutic recreation specialist. She's done a lot to really grow the adaptive programming that we have here within our department. Um, and she's getting a lot of people involved with those programs. We've actually expanded it from what used to just be adult programs. Um, several years ago, we were focused mostly on Special Olympics programming, and we've moved away from that to really be able to offer a wide variety of different types of programs that, um, from sports fundamentals, so it's not as competitive. We do a lot of life skills programming, um, a lot of social programs, a lot of dances, things of that sort. And we've also started delving into youth programming as well um, in the adaptive sphere. 
So with that said, we have a lot of programs, a lot of needs for space. Um, this place fills up a lot in the evenings and weekends, and that's generally when we're doing a lot of those programs. And so the idea about maybe being able to transition Ashton House from an event rental facility into more of a, an adaptive recreation programming hub that would house a lot of the different programs that we have um, definitely seemed like an appealing option for us to pursue. And so that's where we're coming to you tonight to really kind of look at you know, the, the feasibility of, of doing that. Um, what we would use for programming space out there, it is accessible, that, that main level, we would not really be looking to use the lower level at all. Uh, Project Green would still have access to that for their storage needs. The garage space that's out there would still be Project Green. So we're not really changing anything other than um, how, how that facility is used primarily on the upper level. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the main things that's really appealing to our um, programming staff is that it has a much nicer kitchen than the one that's like right beyond this wall here. So kind of like a hallway here and doesn't really have up-to-date um, food preparation equipment. And so that would be one of the options out there that would provide us additional space. There's gathering space for people to be able to come and hang out. We could have potentially some drop-in times. Um, we would potentially look to uh, utilize one of the rooms out there for uh, an office space for our adaptive um, program supervisor to be able to go out and kind of use that as a hub for their staffing. Um, and so I think, I think really when you look at the amount of growth that we've had in our adaptive programming, I think we would have far more people utilizing that space, enjoying the grounds, enjoying the facility, than we currently have from people that are utilizing our event rentals. A couple other notes. First of all, we aren't looking at doing any major renovations inside the building to start with. This is would be a trial for the mm -hmm. first year to see um, see how it goes before any kind of changes. And, and we're limited because of the historic part of that building and what can be done anyway. The one thing we would do is probably look at some kind of stair uh, door or barrier at the top of the stairs. There's a real steep set of stairs that go inside from upstairs to downstairs. That's the one thing that we would probably do. Uh, parking is a concern, but a lot of these programs, um, the participants that are coming are coming from our group homes, so they're coming in the buses or the, the vans that come from the different group homes, so we think that that will work mm -hmm. with the parking that's available out there. Um, I think that's the main things that yeah we've we've utilized that space some for some of our uh, recreation division programming needs the last couple summers we've utilized that space for our summer camp and then we've started hosting some of our adaptive programs out there we've actually uh, moved our yoga program over there which I, I people that are involved in that program and the instructor really enjoy having that space available to them rather than here at the recreation center. It's just a lot more of a relaxing environment for them to, to do that. Um, so yeah, so we've started to dabble with that and we really feel that it would be a, a good space that would be um, a good use of the programs that we have. The benefit also of moving some of those programs and events over there is it does free up more community space for use over here as well for more general use. 
I remember the last thing was the question of couldn't we still do rentals and use it for programming space? We don't think that's feasible or the best way to do this at this building. If we're going to set up and move programs out there, it really is going to take over that main level for that. And it's probably not in our best interest to try to closet everything away if there's uh, rentals in between. So we would most likely program it to the level that it would be used you know, five or six days a week for programming. Probably not as much during the daytime, just like we're here at the rec center. This is the afternoons and evenings primarily. Yeah. Other yeah. commission questions? Go for it. Um, so, it, we, in terms of revenue loss, it would be about twenty-two thousand that we would because um, rental. Yeah, like if you're offsetting that, that it'd be eleven eleven thousand. Um, because okay. we we had taken in we had taken in eleven, and the cost was twenty-two thousand uh, out there. So that would be the difference. Uh, but with programming, there wouldn't be the, right. the cost from the Ava Center. Oh, there would right. be. No. Right. There, there and that was one other good. thing that I, that I forgot to mention, too, is that um, from a timing perspective, we actually go back out. It's been a five-year five year agreement with the Ava Center. Um, we're going to be going out for rebid on that because the contract expires July of next year, 2024. And so that would be a good time for us to restructure what that contract looks like and what they're bidding on. Because we'd basically be basing that on one facility rather than the two facilities that are in there right now. I know we were talking a little bit about, um, <laughs> thank you, uh, you know, rentals and kind of staying away from those. Um, as far as the outdoor space goes, I haven't had the privilege of stopping by there yet. It sounds like it's a nicely manicured, nicely kept area out there. When you were speaking on weddings and all that, maybe we veer away from that. Were wedding photos, like booking sessions for wedding photos in the outdoor garden spaces and all that, was that ever something that was looped in with the wedding bookings and all that? If they did that, uh, that would have been on a subcontracted basis. That's okay. never anything that we saw. Um, that's not something that the Ava Center would have as part of their services, so they would book somebody else for those wedding photos. Got it. And it yeah. certainly could still be used for the yeah. outside. I don't think the outside use changes. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Any additional questions from Commission? So the recommendation. You probably have public comment. Oh, yes. Thank you. So for public comment, <laughs> so I'll apologize for that. So, yep. And if you could please state your name, and then we'll have three minutes here from the timer. So I can get that lower. Um, I'm Cindy Parsons, and I'm co-president of Project Green. And first of all, we appreciate the acknowledgement we've received tonight from the commission, and uh, are excited about the REAP grant. Really excited about the REAP grant. Sometimes we just kind of feel like the poor stepsister over there that nobody you know, knows about, but um, I just wanted, I'm gonna have to talk fast. I wanted to give you some kind of facts about Project Green. Some of you newer members may not be familiar with us, but we've had a, we were founded in 1968, and we've had a 55-year partnership with the city in improving uh, grounds and landscapes and beautification of city, mostly city property, some things around the county, some of the school properties. And over the, these 55 years, we've raised and spent um, over $2.2 million in public improvements. Um, 
I, th I think you've all been getting Diane's weekly reports that she puts together that are lovely. Uh, but just this year, so far in 2023, um, we've had what 957 hours of volunteer work just this summer at the Ashen House, and conservatively at 30 dollars an hour for skilled gardeners, that comes up to about $28,000 in donated labor. Um, in addition, I, I just, uh, we, our members contribute a lot of plant materials out of our own yards and we dig up and transplant over there. Um, in 2022, we spent over $14,000 on plantings and maintenance, and probably for 2023, it's gonna be more because of, of a lot of watering we had to do because of the drought. Um, so I guess we, our preference would be to keep it as public use because we, you know, we have, we, we worked really hard to make it a kind of a botanical garden, a destination public garden. I can understand, you know, we met with, with Julie and Brad and we understand the reasons they're making this recommendation. But so the three things I want to make sure that we get in the record, and I think they have been tonight in the discussion, but we, we do need the continued use of the garage. We need um, inside storage, which could be in the lower level for our documents and, and all that sort of thing. And then we do need occasional use of the house for our events and things. And we can certainly, we've been coordinating that through Gabe and he's been, he's been great. So I think that shouldn't be a problem. So um, I think those were the main points I wanted to make. But, um, you know, we work really hard and we would love to have all of you come visit over there. It's not so nice now, but next, next summer it'll be beautiful again. We've already ordered all our annual plants and have great plants for it. So. Thank you all for everything you do. Nine seconds. Yeah, left. thank you. <laughs> They're just resetting the clock. So, yeah. All right, I'm Diane Allen, and I'm also co president of Project Green. So, it's nice to meet you. I'm looking around, I'm not convinced, I know Julie and I know Brad, but, and, and I know Gabe, but I don't think I know the rest of you. Do, I, do you know me? Not yet. No, yeah, not yes, yet. well, as Cindy was saying, we think perhaps that the Ashen House is kind of a secret garden. And we'd like for all of you to come and visit this beautiful place. We've worked so hard. We began in 2013 with chainsaws, and now we're um, using little small spades, et cetera. This year was the first year we used an auger um, to dig holes to plant 31 boxwoods around the parking lot area. We've worked very, very hard. And thanks to Tyler, who always helps us every time he takes my call. So that says a lot and appreciate it. So I just wanted to let you know a little bit about Project Green. Uh, we're very fortunate in this community to have Project Green. Cindy and I have done talks all over the state, well, quite a few places. And um, the comments that we get are usually, well, how can we get a Project Green in our community? Um, and so it's been confusing why, like this year, we've almost got 1,000 hours. And I think I can squeeze out a few more hours to get up to 
1,000. We're at 957 or something like that, Cindy just said. So uh, it's been a good year. So I'd like you to learn more about Project Green. You would know more. Um, Iowa Avenue, that was Project Green's first project, and certainly you are all familiar with Iowa Avenue. Um, and there have been many, many projects. So I was reminding Julie yesterday that um, uh, College Green Park, Project Green was the first one to take that and put it together as it should be. So I just want to tell you, we have a newsletter coming out at the end of this month. And um, to, uh, if you would like to have your name to have this uh, delivered to your front door, uh, please let Gabe know or whomever is in charge. And we would be happy to put you on our mailing list. Agreed? And also, my blogs, do you really get them? With the pictures? Yeah. With the pictures? Yeah, oh, I'm so glad. Yes. Well, you can also get them in a better form on at projectgreen.org. And uh, we just started putting these on our blog and, as a blog. Uh, and so it's just weeks 21 through 26. But I reread them all today, and they're all worthwhile to read again. So there you go. And I did Thank it. You. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions? Any of your parents were on Project Green? Helped out? I, I don't have a question, but I'm honored to meet anyone who worked on College Green Park. Oh. It was one of my favorite places before the tornado in the world. Yeah. yeah. It was magical. Yes. Yeah. Great. I wish I could tell you off the top of my head who was in charge, but someone named Boutel. Thank you. Any, any other public comment related to this topic? Oh. Okay. Hi, I'm Larry Allen. I'm related to her. And uh, just a few few points. Uh, I think the hours are misrepresented. It's gone into the volunteers because I live with her. And uh, she probably spends 30 hours a week. And that's probably an underestimate because I know. Um, the Another thing I'd like to point out is the, the Ashton House compared to uh, uh, Terry, Terry's uh, place. I know that Project Green gave $75,000 for that. Now, if you transfer that money over to the Ashton House, maybe those differences in, in cost wouldn't be so uh, discrepant, what, what it costs to run them, you know. Um, some thoughts that I've had, since people say more exposure would be nice, and I think it would be. One of the things that, that I know that they would love to have happen is that there's a botanical society. And it's nationwide, I believe, and that, that they have an aspiration to have that, those gardens as part of that, which would be a big draw, not only around here, but maybe even nationwide, which would also, if you think about money, would bring money in one way or the other. And so if there's anything that you folks could do, if it's somewhat of a, an allotment of money or support to get that, I think it would be a feather not only in Project Green's hat, but Iowa City's hat, 
Corbel's hat, Johnson County's hat. It would bring money in. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, so I would think about that. And one final thing that I, I think about as far as money goes, and really, I, we've thought about this quite a lot, is uh, it's not Paris, it's not a Sunday afternoon in the park per se, but it could be not Paris, but Sunday in the afternoon in Iowa City or surrounding communities to have maybe like an orchestra underneath, outside. And of course with the resources with the University of Iowa and the music's department and all that, if all that could be coordinated, you would probably get a big crowd if the weather permitted for people to come out and you might see quite a few donations coming in that way. And it would be a cool thing. Other than that, thank you for the acknowledgments for Project Green. I th they deserve it and uh, appreciate it. Any other public comment? Hello, also uh, Diana Kaufman, also a Project Green volunteer, a relatively new one. And I fell in love with the volunteers and the gardens there. They're really something. And um, being new, um, I could see all the things that could be done that haven't been done. That's just the way my little pea brain works. And what I'd like to build on something Larry said, I saw that potential as this being um, for Johnson County, you know, a, a public gardens. Ames has Ryman Gardens, Des Moines has the, their beautiful botanical gardens. I mean, what the volunteers have done with no budget and hard, pardon my French, but hard fucking ass labor is just amazing and um, Two, two thoughts. One, I think the city should give some money for plants and mulch so we can really complete some of the beds that we've been working on. And um, I know that's a budget process, but just to put that in your brains to consider how might you support this effort with some money because um, we, we, it would make a huge difference. Secondly, um, the idea if there were a botanic society the Ashton House would be, could be a great headquarters for that where, you know, I don't know if you've been to the Botanic Gardens at Ames or Ryman Gardens, but they have a little gift shop. I mean, it's where people go, they join members, and um, it is a money maker. So just, I guess I would think big on this instead of, you know, here's some volunteers who give a lot and nobody knows about it. Make, you know, think big for the city and the county. There's a potential there is, to me, huge. Thank you. Appreciate that you care. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Linda Schreiber, and um, I guess it says something about my age that I actually know or knew Nancy Cyberling and worked at the city when she would visit regularly to talk to city council and the city staff about developing this program that has been around for 55 plus years. Not only did she conceive of a lot of the things that Project Green has done over the years, um, 
she helped establish the garden forms that are given every winter uh, during the winter months, and that has been an ongoing project for decades. I can't even tell you how long it's gone. That program serves not only local gardeners, it's free. It serves master gardeners, and we have some master gardeners in the room, because we are required to um, have continuing education hours, so we appreciate that aspect as well. Um, just prior to the pandemic, Project Green started an Open Gardens Weekend, which is another free event um, for the area. And I think that I'm not off base by saying that their hope was to have this become more than a regional activity, to reach out beyond Johnson County and Eastern Iowa to attract people to come in and make it a tourism event that people would come and stay in hotels, et cetera, so on. So um, as you move into this new venture, hopefully you will consider making some of the garden space accessible. Um, that's a challenge to do for people who are adaptive needs. I don't know how that's done. I've never done it, but I know you have a lot of talent and, and uh, vision that you can figure out how to do that as well. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else for public comment on this topic? Yeah. I'd like to thank uh, the public for coming out and so appreciative of all that Project Green does and has done in the past um, and appreciate and definitely acknowledge uh, the work and dedication to helping make our community beautiful. So very much appreciate uh, the labor of love uh, that you have dedicated and sacrificed and consecrated into making our community beautiful. So I just want to thank you uh, for that. Um, the item that will be uh, kind of recom the recommendation, um, as I understand it, is uh, to change the use um, from a, as opposed to rentals, changing it to a, as far as the kind of recreation use that way for the Ashton House as a whole. Yeah, and I would say it is still a public use. It's full, probably. For programming and. Yeah, it would just be for programming, but it would be public use um, and nothing out into the grounds unless it's in partnership with Project Green. This is programming happening inside the house. And I think as was it Kathy also kind of recommended, so making sure that um, Project Green still has continued use of some of those uh, spaces as well uh, for some of their um, storage needs as well as um, occasional uh, yeah, continued use of the garage. So I want to make sure that we call those out as well. So is there a recommendation or a motion um, from the commission that way or can I ask another couple of questions just to confirm um, again thank you all for the comments I really appreciated that and the city doesn't provide any support financial or otherwise beyond the space and the REAP grant things like that at this time um, Tyler can probably better answer that we provide the mulch when it's needed we reutilize um, what we chip up um, around time and we've shifted that instead of bringing in stuff that was at the landfill and chipped with the course chipping. We provide what comes off our trucks, which um, I think has been a better product. So 
Um, we drop that off when needed. Um, we also have a crew that every day after they do a, a work event out there and goes up and picks the, up the yard waste, takes that and disposes of it. Um, we've put thousands of dollars into tree removals in the last couple of years there. So we do stuff around the grounds. Um, it's it's not the you know pay for the annuals or other plants that they put in there or the um, you know the labor to keep that up is what they're. Um, you know, if, if they didn't do that, we wouldn't have the budget means right now to do that. So, um, but we do put some money and effort into the facility. Thank you. And you mow. Yes, mowing as well. And the mowing is a contract uh, um, mowing there. So um, that's um, a, a certain amount too. I don't know the exact number, but it'd be thousands for the season there. Okay. And this may be a for a future discussion, but I'm intrigued at the idea of a botanical garden. I feel like that's something that's sorely lacking in this area. And to have something kind of already made, mm -hmm. has there been thought to that? Is that something that can be? I guess I don't know exactly what that would mean beyond what's there now, but it's something we could certainly talk about. It's. I don't know why not, um, and I don't think that the this change in use of the house would have any impact about whether that would happen or not. Um, the other thing to remember is that this is for about a year to try it and see if the programming works there, and see if that's going to get us more use than what we're getting now. That's our that's our ultimate goal is to get people out there to see the beautiful gardens, to use the house, um, to have traffic through the house. One of the problems is it doesn't have enough of that right now. Um, just for upkeep and maintenance and everything else, so, yeah. That was a comment I want to make. I mean, I wrote down the labor of love also, too. I mean, and I've ridden my bike through there. It's, it's amazing. Um, and it seems to me if the city takes over, it actually expands the use. Like, I was thinking, oh, like eagle watching parties, or you know, maybe there are things that we can add to it to get more people there through the city programming, rather than just trying to get 20 rentals a year. That the amount of people that that could go through Ashton um, would I would it potentially increase uh, with the city using uh, the or Parks and Rec taking over use. Any other questions from the commission? Can we add a tour to this schedule at some oh. time? Yeah. We've had meetings out there from outside. time to time over the years too, so certainly. So is there a motion to approve of the change in use and do more programming for the Ashen House uh, with the qualifiers as stated earlier? I would motion to change it to um, Parks and Rec programming, you know, as long as uh, Project Green isn't, their facilities aren't affected or their work that they're doing isn't affected. Is there a second? that motion? Second. Melissa, second. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Thank you. Now move on. Thank you. Move on to item number seven on the agenda. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. All right, the next two presentations that I have are both somewhat repeats with updates to them. So we will uh, 
go through this fairly quickly. This is the same presentation you saw a few months ago about our capital improvement budget. This is the budget we have for the larger projects, not things like painting a room or these are the larger construction projects. Uh, we have gone pretty much through the staff process and have some updates about when things will happen. Um, the annual projects are the ones that we get a certain amount each year. We talked about this. This is things like annual park annual improvement are things like park signs, park furnishings, partnerships with, with some of the youth associations for smaller projects at some of the athletic fields. Um, that's at my discretion and Tyler's discretion of how we use that 90000 a year. Um, the ADA improvements is for um, generally has been for paved paths, and that had been thirty thousand a year. Uh, that is changing, so this current year we'll still have a hundred and fifty thousand in it. That is to provide a paved path at Calder Park, which is one of our last parks that's lacking accessibility. Um, the other ones that still have some accessibility needs are up for full renovation within the next few years. So this particular fund is going away after that year. Um, and any of those small ADA type projects would come out of the Park Annual Improvement Fund above it. We've addressed um, the majority of what was identified in the Parks Master Plan as assess accessibility needs throughout the park. Um, the Climate Action Facility Improvements, that had been $250,000 a year for the next five years. Uh, that is now to only 2024. Um, and it will likely be revisited each year with a council with a new amount placed, but it's not going to have that renewal of 250,000 each year. Uh, inner city bike trails and bridges had been 40,000 a year, so yay, it's now 150,000. Uh, if you remember our list of trail projects, that was about 5 million. <laughs> so it, it really is going to address our most desperate needs on bridges and some of the trails that are, are gonna have very big safety concerns and we'll have to prioritize from there. Uh, and then the rec center improvements stay at $50,000 a year. That is smaller projects here and at Mercer Scanlon. The changes in this budget, you're gonna see more as we go into the each individual project. Um, you're gonna have really nice streets and bridges in Iowa City. <laughs> and that is those projects right now are taking a lot of the capital improvement budget for the next few years. Uh, we've been really fortunate in Parks and Recreation to have a lot of projects, four or five big park projects every year for the last eight years. You're going to see that changing a little bit in these next few years, fewer projects. The other part of that is City Park Pool is $10.5 million, so that's, that's kind of taking up a lot of what we would normally get. Uh, contracted tree planting has also been cut back from 100,000 a year. It is actually 75,000 next year and then goes to $50,000 a year after that. Uh, we have been doing a lot of great plantings. We'd like to continue. We'll continue using whatever money we're allotted for those. Okay, so the 2024 CIP projects really don't change much from what you saw before, with one big exception, and that is that the lower city park shelter and restroom renovations have been moved out from 2024 to 2028, um, solely on a budget move at this point. Um, the Court Hill Trail, Beach Street to Scott replacement is still there and that is not coming out of the project the trail project budget that I just talked about that is its own separate project okay. 2025 
course, the big one in 2025 is city park pool replacement. Upper city park restrooms and shelter renovations remain, uh, largely because those will likely be combined. And when you see the official list from the council in January or February, you probably will not actually see upper city park restroom and shelter listed because it's being rolled into the city park project. So the money is still there, but it will be with the city park pool project. Uh, we had asked for some money for ADA improvements to the elevator at City Hall. That's been moved to 2026. Carson Lake, oops, sorry. Carson Lake land acquisition stays as it is. That's on the west side. Okay, this is weird. CIP for 2026, Highway 6 trail from Broadway to Fair Meadows stays there. We uh, have another, some parkland coming in on the northeast side of the community. Uh, that Stonebridge Park development was for 26. It's now moved to 27. Napoleon softball fields stay where they are, where they have been. North Market Square stays where it has been. Reno Street Park renovations move out two years to 2028. And then uh, Benton Hill Park renovations stay there. The Carson Lake Park retention basin stays there. That's the west side parkland. That's all we, the city does not have that land. The development has not moved forward yet. So that could still change from where, where we're seeing it here. Um, and then for this building, we have structural cables that hold this building together. They're on the outside of the building. You probably notice them, maybe not. Um, but they are going to be needed to be replaced, most likely, and that's the $250,000 project. The roof project here will still happen. I believe it's next year. But then we have these structural cables that will need to be replaced. And then Mercer Scanlon, although they've had a great new dehumidification system and everything put in the pool area, still needs new HVAC in the entryway and the gym gymnasium portion of the building. So those are in 2026. Oak Grove has been pulled from now. It's now on the unfunded list. Doesn't mean it won't happen. It just means it's pushed it back past the five years. So 2027 projects, uh, Thornberry and Rita's Ranch improvements stay there. Mercer Park shelter replacement. This is the shelter nearest the playground at Mercer Park. Um, the storage barn for parks maintenance has moved back a year to 2028. Iowa River Trail gateway segment remains, and then as I said, Oak Grove is pushed back beyond the five years, so it's currently unfunded. We talked when I presented this originally about these emerging needs, the trails, as I said, we need about five million. Uh, we're getting in again $150,000 a year, and so we're thankful for that. I mean, we need to, we need to, there's some certain things that really have to be done, but we'll be continuing to ask for more funding for trails as we go down. Uh, we did not have any of the parking lot rebuilds funded, uh, so that will be on the unfunded list for now. And of the shelter replacements that we identified, the only one that has been funded has been, is the Mercer Park one. So there's still a lot to do, we know that. Um, we'll keep plugging away, but I just want to give you an update of, of where we're at at this point in the budget process, since there were several changes this year, more so than we have seen other years. Are the trail rebuilds and the parking lot rebuilds, is that just resurfacing things that are existing, not new? Not new, no. On? Yeah, it's, uh, the trails would be changing some of them from asphalt to concrete, um, so rebuilding them to a more substantial structure. The parking lots are, are simply, uh, they're falling apart, yeah, and so. Any question, other questions? In 2025, 
<clears throat> projects was moved to 2026, the ADA elevator improvements. Yeah. What elevator is that? Uh, in City Hall. So it's the main elevator in City Hall. Yeah. It's, why is that on the, the list? Oh, all the sorry. Rest yeah, so Parks and Recreation includes all of what's called government buildings here. So we, gotcha. we take care of both the rec centers, City Hall, police, fire, um, and the senior center. Right. Yep. Thanks. It good just question. stuck out to me. Yeah, right good there. question. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, City Hall is also getting a new roof that's happening this year. It's not on here as a as a future project because it's already in the works. Yeah. This is yeah an add-on to Melissa's question. So the five million for the trailer rebuilds it just that we only got one hundred fifty thousand. I'm just wondering why, like what else? Why is it so expensive? The five hundred million, right? Because there's so many miles of it. And 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 concrete and asphalt. Those things are either either way. That that is what we. That's just the cost just of, the per car. mile. Okay. There's that many miles of trail, and based on our current uh, project that we've gotten, yeah. I needed to go to the next presentation. Yeah, yeah it was just more out of curiosity. The asphalt versus the concrete. The last time we did a parking lot, we were going to do asphalt to rebuild. It was cheaper to do the concrete at the same price. Concrete lasts longer. It's better for us maintenance. Um, so they're very comparable price right now. That doesn't mean they won't shift in the future, but um, that's why the change was proposed. Yeah, I just wondered, I was just curious about, yeah, how, what needed to be done, I guess. Yeah. Um, with the city park pool replacement and the upper city park restroom and shelter renovations, uh, those kind of being rolled into the city park pool replacement, just for clarification, is the upper city park restroom and shelter renovations coming from you know the city, whereas we have a contractor doing the pool, or would the contractor be involved in everything, including the restrooms and yeah. all that? It okay. would be all one project. And the reason they're being um, merged into one has to do with how we bond for the projects. <laughs> if we bonded for them as two separate projects, each pot of money could only be used on that particular part, and let's say the the restrooms only cost one hundred and fifty thousand instead of two hundred. The money couldn't go directly to the pool, so putting it all in one group together allows it to be treated as one project. Great. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. All right, if that's, I will now uh, move on to update you on our city park pool public input. This is a, <laughs> this has been a full time and a half job for the last few weeks. It's been really exciting and fun. I, I wanna take time to walk you through where we're at on this, uh, mostly as a, to have it on the record and so that you uh, understand exactly how the process is being handled uh, and what's been done. So some of it is a repeat. I'll try to go through that fairly quickly. But we're in the project steps, so we, the project consultant team has been chosen. We've assessed the current condition of the pool. We've made the council made the decision to replace it. And we're in phase one right now of this public input. That's what's happening um, from now through November 14th, so about another week. After that, um, when that public phase one is done, the consultants will take the information they've gathered, take it back, and just develop the three design schematic designs. Um, those schematic designs will then be put out to a public survey. That's likely going to be in about mid-January. So you're going to, it's a lot happening between now and next Tuesday. And then as far as the commission and the public, you're probably not going to hear much of anything for about two months. We kind of go quiet as, they, as the consultants go back and do their work. There'll be the, whoops. Sorry. 
So there'll be that survey, then there'll be another public input meeting after that, and then we'll have the design chosen by the council likely in March, and then go out to bid, and hopefully August of 2024 be starting construction on the new pool. There's a lot of pieces that have to fall into place for that, but we're, we're moving. So uh, to remind you the goals of the project, combine or provide community rec experiences for a wide range of users, provide independent accessibility, provide shade, provide design and operating efficiencies that support the climate action goals of the city, maximize efficiency of lifeguards, promote the vision of every child learns how to swim, welcome users of all backgrounds with specific attention to the facility entry patterns, evaluate the potential for merging the outdoor park restrooms and year-round rec programming space, and limit the construction area generally within the fence line. Those have not changed, but I like to remind people of those every time we talk about the pool so we have kind of the framework of where we're going. So we're in public input, and with this project, we have made a much larger commitment than ever before to reach diverse audiences to really look at equity and inclusion as we're doing the process. So a lot of the reporting here will include demographics. We're asking for more demographic information than we ever had before. We're tracking it. We're doing our best to balance groups so we have all areas represented. So in that process, the first thing that went up was the project website. This is on the city webpage, um, and it's conveniently icgov dot org slash jump in and you can remind anyone if they want to know what's going on in the project when it's going on to please go to the website this is where all our registrations and all of our surveys are housed um, and as we get reports back throughout the process it will all go on this web page so keep that in mind as probably the most important communication piece of all this so we started, we had the focus group registration promotion. You've all been through one of the focus groups, so you know what they are. Uh, but a new concept, I think, out to the community of how we were trying to do this and how to, get, how to get involved with that. So there was a lot of publicity about it. We had press releases, social media. It was on the Channel 4 video update. Uh, we emailed all of the rec program participants through our ActiveNet recreation program software. We had flyers and signage at all of our programs during the month of October, handouts, uh, little quarter sheets, big signs, A-frame signs. We hope that if you were anywhere near our facilities, you saw this. Uh, we also did letters to all of our partner groups and neighborhood associations trying to help get the word out. We asked all of you to help do that. And then we did individual outreach again to some of those community groups, especially as we were trying to get folks from diverse backgrounds. We went to the groups where we knew that they were accessing services and worked with them. And it worked um, in a lot of ways. We got 327 registrations for about 220 spots. And you have the demographics there, overwhelmingly female. Even halfway through, we, we specifically changed our marketing to ask for more male participants. And it, it did help. I will tell you, we got more after we did that marketing push. Um, but yeah, it's still overwhelmingly female, overwhelmingly white. But we did get a fair number of non-white folks that chose to participate. And then our age spread is not does not meet our community demographics either. Um, our true community demographics would have a lot more folks in that 13 to 29 age range. And uh, we have not had a good luck so far, other than the Halloween open house, which you'll see, um, getting those folks though wanting to participate in the focus groups. So we had the, all those people register. 
at the same time we did the marketing for the two idea open house general idea generation sessions and we had press releases social media cable channel flyers signage uh, not as much promotion for the for this as the open house there was more promotion for the focus groups because that's kind of the meat of where we're going to have people have more chance to give their input that way but we had of the uh, idea generation sessions on October 27th we had 35 people attend over at Mercer and that was a nice afternoon they got really a good chance to talk with the um, project team and we had a lot of people with a lot of longer conversations and then in the evening wow <laughs> we had 5:30 to 7:30 here during the Halloween open house and we got the families now they granted we we did kind of an informal survey and asked if they knew this open house was happening for the pool and most of them did not they were just here for the pool event but still super excited to give their opinions on the on the pool so you can see we had 460 people over those two hours in the meeting room next to us it was it was an ongoing it lines down the hallway of people trying to get in but interesting enough 57% uh, of those people were white and 43% were non-white so we do know that we had a little bit different demographics that night and the way that we did that is people that came in they were asked to voluntarily fill out a demographic survey that had three questions the age of the people in their party the genders and the race of the people and there was no name on it they filled it out, they put it in a separate box, they went in the room and did the activities. But we did that specifically to see see the differences here. Uh, and also our, our male-female ratio was better through that event and our ages, age spread was a little bit different. So I think it shows that, that we have to do outreach in a lot of different ways and have our events in different ways. Uh, this is what the, let's see. There we go. Idea, here's some pictures of it. So that if you didn't get a chance to see what the open house idea generation sessions were, there was five activities when you walked in. You got some play money and you got a rubber duck. So the rubber duck went into uh, one of four voting buckets about, I forget which question that was, but there was, there was four, there was a, a question with four answers and you put your duck in that particular bucket. There were, I believe, 15 of the different amenities where you could say you strongly wanted it to, I strongly don't want it. There was a writing area in the middle or a drawing area. Uh, really thought it would be kids that would take advantage of that. It was not, it was the adults. So that was kind of fun to watch. And even the consultants were like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but we got some ideas through that and then some uh, activities around accessibility ideas. So um, just a lot that happened with that. And with that, for the people that didn't come, uh, we have an online version that's still live. It's live through November 14th, and it's on the project website. Uh, as of November 6th, we had 176 people fill out the online survey, and they're still coming in pretty steadily throughout the day. So uh, we still have that open, and we still have people doing that. Okay, so now, Let's talk about how we picked the focus groups so you can all tell your neighbors if they got chosen or not chosen, how it happened. And Rachel was there, so <laughs> she can vouch for how we did this. Basically, we have this huge super spreadsheet of all the answers that people self-selected when they registered for the um, focus groups. And we use that 
to go through and select the various groups. And so Rachel, myself, Sue Prothrope from the Back to the Future Advocate Group, Gabe and then Matt Idol. the five of us sat around my computer to do this. We hid any identifying information, so we hid the name, address, phone number, email, we didn't see any of that. Um, interestingly, we found out after the fact there was five people in this 300 and some that filled it out twice. And they were in there twice. Yeah, we didn't know that because we didn't have the names. So we didn't know that. It didn't become evident until yesterday. Um, and interesting, because of the five, most of them had one entry that got chosen and one that didn't. So they, what happened was they got both an email saying you've been chosen and then an email saying you weren't chosen. So that's how we figured out there was a duplication in just five. Thank God, just five. Um, but we, what we did was then we sorted it out. The non-Iowa City residents were marked. They were still eligible, but we had them a different color because we gave preference to Iowa City residents first. So the first thing we did was we sorted it out to anyone that said that they would like to be in a group because they have a disability and they'd like to be in a specific group for that. And that was pretty easy because we actually had 22 people that, that noted that. So all 22 were then chosen for that particular group. We assigned them the group, um, went on. We did the same thing for caregivers of people with a disability, um, for people that had answered affirmative to being in the LGBTQ plus group. All of those kind of, those few specialty groups like that, we did those first. And then when we got to the more general ones, like the ones for um, aqua fitness, water walk, we sorted those out. And so we ended up with, say, a list of 30 or 40 people in most cases. We sent invitations to 20 people for each group, hoping to get at least 15 that are able to come. So the way that we did it was, because we knew that we did not have the level of non-white folks in the, in the database they weren't equally, rep or they weren't represented to the level that we would have liked to have seen. They actually got preference first. So we filled the first five spots from people that had indicated that they were non-white. Um, and then we took the rest. So if there was 35 people left in 15 places, very scientifically, we took a dice. We rolled the dice, whatever number it came up as. We went down the list and took like every fourth person or every third, depending on what the dice was. Once we did that, the five of us then were able to sort that and look at those 20 people that had been chosen. We looked at that group and we said, did we make, did we, does it make sense? Did we end up with about half male, half female? We knew that we had the race part, you know, covered by the way that we did that. Um, and we, I forget the other demographic. We looked at it with demographics. Amazingly, every, almost every one of them we hit pretty well. So we said that if we hadn't hit the demographics well, we would go back and do some um, adjustments so that we, we had the ages and the gender. As a group, we actually didn't have to do that very much. There was a few cases, um, I can't remember which group it was, but for the most part, they kind of self-selected. It was kind of interesting that it happened that way. So we did that, we chose the nine groups that we had listed, um, and we had two groups left. And so we looked at the people that had been chosen in kind of the demographics, and we looked at the ones that were yet on the list, so the 130, 140 people still on the list. 
we realized that we really didn't have very many people in that under 29 group. There weren't that many in the, in the database to start with, but even fewer actually got chosen for focus groups. So the next group that we made was of younger adults, and that was the criteria was to have an extra group made of younger adults. And then the final one that was decided by the group was to do the older adults. And there was a natural kind of breaking point at 70 and above. And we had about 20 people left in that 70 and above category. So they, they made up the last one of the invited focus groups. Okay, any questions to that point? Because I'm going to make Rachel answer them. No. Of <laughs> <laughs> how that worked. Okay. I need to go to a prior commitment, but Connie will take I, I, over. I'll take the helm. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Okay, so the other thing that happened, uh, we asked people to report on their availability, and we'd given them check marks for when they could come to a focus group. So after we had the 11 groups chosen, we then had to figure out how they could fall into the schedule provided by the consultants. Once again, amazingly, <laughs> it worked. Um, what we found is out of the 20 people chosen for each one, in almost every case, at least 12 to 15 of them had the similar availability. So there were people that were invited that hadn't listed a certain time on their availability. We went ahead and sent the invitations that way because the majority of those particular groups could meet at that same time. If I were to do this again, that's the one thing I would include in the email that went out with the invitation to say, please realize you may have specified certain times and we weren't able to we weren't able to um, meet all of those requests. We weren't able to grant the requests. But for the most part of the 220 that were, 227 that were sent out, I've only ended up rescheduling 10 of them. So anyone that asked for a reschedule said, hey, I can't make it. I told you I could only be there on Tuesday and you scheduled me for Monday. I was able to move them to other groups based on how many people had already said no and, and kind of some juggling. I didn't do that for the specific like disability group and the over 70 group, so I made sure there wasn't a 30-year-old that ended up in a group of 15 <laughs> 70-year-olds. Um, but I, there are other groups that became a little more mixed, the lap swim group, the aqua fitness group, uh, the group for families with kids and swim lessons. Some of those are a little more mixed than what we had originally intended and we talked with the consultants and they're good with that. As a little, they, they get the same questions. So you can see the demographics. I think we came out as well as we could based on what we had gotten for um, the, uh, the people that registered. We've been able to um, change people who asked for different times. I won't be able to any longer. We're now at the point where we have um, all but a handful of RSVPs back, um, and we've sent the email to the people that weren't chosen. They were given an online version to do. We have, of all except one group, we have at least 15 that have RSVP, RSVP'd yes, that they'll be there. And um, in most groups, we have about two people that haven't responded yet. So I think we're good for that target of about 15 people for each one of the, the groups when it happens. Um, and as you said, the people that weren't selected um, or who were selected and declined, they got an email yesterday, I believe it was, saying, sorry, you've not been chosen, but here's the online version. So that went out to about 100 people. About Before I came in the meeting, I counted where about 35 have already, have already filled out their online version and sent it back in. Um, 
And here's the list of the targeted groups. You've seen that before. Uh, I would also tell you the one that we still do not have and that we're struggling with is the teen group. Um, we had two teens, three, three that uh, registered to be a part of a group. Two of them have been accommodated that they're coming with their parents as they asked if they could come with their parents to a different group. So we're looking at a different way to probably do the teen group. It probably won't happen on the 13th or 14th. I think we're gonna end up going to Southeast Junior High or working with some, we've still got some other options for that, but that's the one, the, the one main group that didn't come through in our process. So live and learn, we're, we're still working on that. Um, and here we go, the rest of the process, the three schematic designs, like I said, probably mid-January. Mid Two of those will be hopefully within the $10 million budget, one with additional items up to $15 million. And then there'll be the public survey of those, there'll be a statistically valid survey, and then an open survey, those will all be reported back. There'll be another public open house. Um, and then it'll go back to commission and council, probably in a joint meeting to make that final decision if all goes well. So, I mean, our consultants are amazed by our community and the amount of input they're receiving. They said this is unlike any other community um, that they work with. And we're excited that this many people want to talk about the pool. I don't have an idea of any of the results yet. So <laughs> it's, all, it's all with the consultants, but, um, that's where we're at. So do you have any questions or comments about this? No. No. I'm surprised at the gender imbalance throughout. Is that, does that reflect pool usage? Is it reflective of the just men not engaging with Parks and Rec? Or, or is there any explanation yeah. for that? So our consultants said that that is typically what they see at any public input process for anything. They only do Parks and Recreation type things, but that's, that's who typically wants to participate. So they weren't surprised as we were that we didn't hit that 50-50, yeah. So, yeah. At the, the open house, did that consultant group, the very Very done. Did they come up with that really neat design and interactive? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And the online version, our city staff actually translated that into the online. If you haven't looked at that online survey, I think our ITS staff did a really nice job of capturing the pictures and giving people kind of an online version of those things. So, yeah. So, I got to tell you, it's we're, this is breaking new ground the way we're trying to do this and the amount of input that we're gathering. Um, it, it's it's. Been, it's been a lot because we're kind of creating new things, but I, I think it's going to be worth it in the end for just having people feel like they had input into this process. At least that's that's our hope. So, yeah. Bravo, Julie. I'm, I'm really proud of our city. Anything else? That's good. Okay. Thanks so much, Julie. It is really like, whoa. Yeah. And I agree with the consultants. We are an amazing and engaged community. <laughs> yeah, we are. Can't be nothing like Iowa City. Okay, so next um, report on items from city staff. Okay, a couple quick things. Um, we have three uh, kind of major staff changes that have been happening, so that you're aware of it. Um, our facility manager, Kumi Morris, who did a presentation in the commission probably six months ago about the Mercer project, um, she's left to take a job at the university. 
So wow. she's an architect by, by background, and she's going to get a chance to use kind of the architect skills um, over there. So that's good. Um, we should have a decision on a new facility manager within the week. We've done interviews, uh, had some really good candidates, and uh, just try to tie it tie a few things up on that. So we will have a new facility manager soon. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Kate Canal, our aquatic supervisor, uh, left to take a consulting job where she's able to work from home and um, will be doing consulting in aquatics. So a lot of the great things she's been doing here, she'll get to take on more of a national basis. So yay for her, that's great. Um, that is advertised right now. Closing date, do we know, Brad? Yeah, about a week and a half for closing date. Kaylee, our assistant, is is doing a lot. Brad is doing a lot, and we're keeping aquatics moving, uh, continually hiring lifeguards and all that. But uh, it's a bit of a challenge because that is kind of a specialized position for us. And then finally, Michelle, who is our communications and special events person, is leaving. Um, her last day is to, is Friday. Uh, she does the farmers market for us as well. She is going to go to Johnson County and do environmental programming for the county, which is really where her heart is. I think for programming without having to do the communications or, or farmers market. So really great moves for all three of them. Really uh, tough spots for us to, to be without at the same time. So we are actively pursuing candidates for the, the two recreation positions and hope to have, I think we'll have a really good candidate pool as well. But that, that's part of our challenge right now. Uh, today we had our first of two big budget meetings regarding our operating budget. Uh, same kind of thing as the capital improvement budget for the city right now is that there's no extra money over the next couple years. It's going to be a little bit different um, operating scenario. I'm, I'm confident we're going to be fine with our staffing and, and you're going to see our service levels pretty similar, um, but it's going to be a lot tighter and we got definitely got that message today too that there won't be any extras on anything, um, at least for a few years, due to some changes with the state and different rollbacks and all those things. So we'll keep updating you on with that. I'm not overly concerned, but it is something we are going to have to be aware of as we move into the next few years. Uh, and the other big project, believe it or not, I've been updating cemetery park rules and regulations. So we can also, I won't update you with the details on that, but that's an item that'll be going to city council soon. Uh, the cemetery rules and regulations haven't been updated for a long time. So we're updating those and getting that. That's also part of parks and recreation here. So anyway, so that's my updates. Thank you, Brad. Yes, so in addition to all of the city park pool stuff that we've been doing from a planning perspective, uh, October was a very busy month for our staff with events, especially a few that I wanna highlight there. Uh, of course, we have one of the um, biggest and busiest events on Saturday mornings, every Saturday morning for six months, which is the farmer's market, wrapped up its final um, final date for the season uh, a couple weeks ago. And then we're moving right into the holiday market, uh, which is gonna be this weekend on Saturday. And then we have another one in December on the 16th. But in October, we probably had, we had about 10 Halloween events in addition to that Halloween carnival uh, that Julie was talking about that we had a great turnout for, a lot of engagement with the uh, city park pool process, but then all the carnival games, we had a lot of partnership groups that had different science experiments, kind of spooky science experiments. Um, 
and a lot of different things. We pretty much utilize every nook and cranny of this facility for that event, and we get a lot of people that come out for it, so it's always great to see. Um, we also had our first um, Get Outside uh, Outdoor Recreation Festival on October 8th. That was Sunday. Um, from 10 a.m. to 2, it was a beautiful day. You know, October can always be a little dicey, but we were blessed with a, with a great day out there, and we had a huge turnout. We worked with 13 or 14 partnership groups that came out. They all had their different activities uh, to kind of promote their own departments and um, some different outdoor excursions or recreational opportunities that people were able to actually do hands-on, take part in. And there was always long lines for all of those different ones, which is, you know, it's a great, great thing to see. And there was a skydiving demo, which was a unique thing. We had a lot of people check that out. Um, we had a band, food trucks. Um, and for Lower City Park to feel full, like that place was full. We had a we had a great attendance out there. So that was the first time that we've done it. So we got some ideas on how we might tweak that out for next year. But it was it was definitely a, a great event for us. Um, and then the following day we had Indigenous Peoples Day, which was also another first for us. Uh, that that was out at the Terry Trueblood Recreational Area, and uh, we had some great partnership groups that we worked with with them as well, um, and had a good turnout. So. Uh, those are those are kind of the highlights for all the different events that we had this last month. Busy, busy, busy. Okay, very much so. I heard great things about the Get Outside. Um, yeah. Day that it was just so cool. Yeah, so, it was awesome. it was really neat to see that many families and people come out to be yeah, able to experience that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everyone did get outside. We told them get outside, and they did. They did. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Brad and Tyler. So into the season, uh, so first off, we've been winterizing. Um, that's a big task every year. So restrooms, um, all but two restrooms get winterized for the winter. The other two, one at Terry Trueblood Recreation Area and one at City Park are heated. So we're able to keep those open for use through the winter. But the rest um, are winterized. So those are um, off now. The drinking fountains are all off, all of our irrigation and our athletic complexes. Um, we've been aerating all of our uh, heavily used turf areas. Um, so of course the athletic fields, but then places around playgrounds or other spots that get more um, like uh, pickup soccer games and things like that in the parks. Um, uh, North Market Square, the school next door uses it a lot. So places like that we, uh, we aerate to um, allow the turf to breathe a little bit over the winter. And then we've um, uh, done what we call overseeding on that as well on a lot of those spots. So putting more grass seed in now, so it's there to grow next spring. So um, lots of winter things like that. Our staff has also been helping. We send two people every day um, to help with the streets crews with the leaf vacuuming program for this month. Um, so uh, they uh, um, kind of uh, get a chance to work with uh, other crews from the city and get out there and, and help get the leaves all vacuumed as well. Um, we are finishing up some of our construction projects from this year. Some of them the contractors um, are finishing. Um, so Kiwanis Park, for example. Um, we are waiting on one crucial piece that was um, a mistaken piece was sent um, for that to finish that project off on one of the playground pieces. Um, so we're close on that one. Um, and similar, our staff is installing the playground at um, uh, Happy Hollow. And it was designed with one too many steps on the one area so that 
change the the pitch of it and everything and uh, so we had to um, get a new piece um, ordered for that we were able to get 80% of it uh, um, set up and uh, poured concrete today around the bases of those. So we're ready to go once we get that last piece to, to finish that off as well. Um, so staff has been uh, constructing that one. Um, fairly typical when you get playgrounds to have one or two pieces. It's usually bolts or fasteners that are um, the issue. This case, um, you know, a, a simple oversight in the planning for that one or the, on the um, playground um, uh, providers part on that one but uh, um, it's not unheard of to have little things um, even with inventorying that one we couldn't tell that it was wrong until we went to put it together so unfortunately it delays us a bit but we'll uh, we'll keep that process moving as quick as we can um, and then I've been working a lot on trees for next year believe it or not for stuff that will most likely be planted in the fall um, around uh, our different rights of way um, around town I'm looking at a project kind of um, if you think about Mormon Trek being kind of the spine of it um, a little bit on the neighborhoods on both sides so um, the west side um, we'll get some trees um, looking at hopefully getting um, some trees around the uh, south of six uh, uh, new um, self-supporting municipal improvement district they um, approached us thought I was gonna have to hold off for another year but I'm really hopeful I can get those trees in next year um, to improve kind of the, the areas around the edge of, of that um, on our, our public rights of way there. Um, and then we've also been working with some community members and uh, other city staff um, to utilize some heritage tree funds. There's a, a pot of money there that has, um, uh, has been there to promote, you know, heritage trees in many different ways and one of the original ideas behind this this goes back a few decades uh, at least a couple decades so um, really the push for it was before I was involved with the city but we're trying to utilize that uh, that money that was set aside for trees um, and uh, best time to plant a tree is yesterday uh, um, so we're trying to get those in hopefully in the spring um, we're going to be planting quite a few in the cemetery um, so that is a good place where they're not disturbed um, so we can get a lot of species in there that we can't get in and some of our other spots so that'll be a good project and the the cemetery staff um, is excited about that um, it was in Oak Savannah at one point so we're focusing on native species and then we're also working with um, staff from um, uh, neighborhood development services to um, provide some trees or get some trees with some of that funding for um, the city-owned properties um, around town, the housing um, properties. Um, so those will mostly be in the uh, Southeast District um, this next year, but we're just providing some guidance um, uh, to their staff and um, facilitating, facilitating that project. So lots of things trees and lots of things play, playgrounds. So any questions on any of that? My question is, so your leaves, yeah. I, like, do I, should I rake them or not? <laughs> My personal opinion, and there's a great uh, piece of uh, um, video that the um, communications uh, and uh, Channel 4 staff from the city helped put out. Yeah. Um, mow as much of them as you can. Um, if you lower the flap on your mower, um, or put a mulching kit on it um, so it's not shooting all out the side, it'll chew those up. Um, it'll chew them up pretty well as long as you don't have you know 
complete canopy of tree coverage, but even then, um, in my personal yard, I mulch all mine up. I didn't use a rake at all this year. Um, it chews them up, provides basically free fertilizer, you can think of it that way, for your lawn. Um, and I don't like raking, some people might, but um, it makes it easier for the city crews then that go around to then they can focus on the, the areas that have an overabundance of it. Um, they can, the leaves left can promote um, uh, overwintering habitat for you know beneficial insects, things like that. You can rake them or mulch them up and put them in your flower beds as well, and provide some extra cover for that. So I could go on and on about it but lots of benefits lots of benefits just remember leave the leaves is kind of the the saying so, so yeah lower my mower as low as it'll go I wouldn't lower it as low as it'll go I would leave it at your normal height but okay. make sure it's not just shooting out the spout oh. if you have a way to close off that spout it'll keep them circulating in there and chew them up into smaller pieces okay. yep and if you for next year if you do it um, more frequently than you would normally mow as the leaves drop, it's easier to stay ahead of them than if you have a huge pile to mow through. Like so, a snowblower. Yeah, and that's that's really what we do in our park spaces with our staff. We have a couple of larger mowers. Um, if you ever see two of them that might look like they're chasing each other, that's not what they're doing. One is on the one track, one's on the other, and they're kind of hitting it twice in some instances to chew those up, and, and we're doing it on a larger scale out in our parks too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Anything else? We now kind of commission time. Aaron, do you have anything you'd like to bring forward to the commission or future ideas? I've got nothing this session, no. Okay. <laughs> I just had a question about communications for trail closures. I know Tyler has heard about this from me, the Sycamore Greenway Trail near my house fairly significant closure that I had not seen anything about. I'm kind of tuned into these things. I've seen some announcements for other trail closures, shorter term, smaller scale. So I guess maybe was that an oversight? Is there some standard for when the public is yeah. notified of trail closures? Uh, we would agree with you and everything you just said. Um, it was handled through a different department and we've shared our feelings with them on how it was handled. All credit so. to Tyler and yeah. Josh the yeah. engineer who were very responsive and getting the information, but that was just there is There is no actual policy. I think we all just know what we do on it, but that one came through kind of a different pipeline, so okay. we apologize, but yeah, we agree. All right, that's all I had. Um, I mentioned this before, but just to start to think about uh, a, a women's swim time, um, a women's only swim time, uh, counselor Mazahir, yay, uh, was suggesting it, and for, for women specifically in her community, and of course that would also get more black folk in the pool, and that's what I know we're trying to do here as well. Yeah. Nope, nothing from me. Okay, I have a few things. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just a couple things. So, oh, I just wanted to thank Parks and Rec. I don't even know if you, I didn't even know you were doing this, but I'm working on a project, a little kiddo I work with, um, mobility issues, can't sit up, one-year-old, and we're building like a Jeep so that he'll push a button and it'll go, like he'll be able to move. And they said, oh, Parks and Rec donated the kickboard, we need kickboard for the back and pool noodles to help. And I'm like, Parks and Rec did that? That's so awesome. Of course, we're so, awesome. So yeah, so you're <laughs> donating to help a little kiddo. So I appreciate that. It actually 
know, came back around. I'm like, oh, I'm a commissioner member, and I didn't even know that. Um, I can't know everything about what you guys do. You guys do so much. Um, the other thing was, I had a, a community member come up to me, and I thought it was kind of an unfortunate situation, and I think that people are totally loud to their opinion, but she um, is a lap swimmer, had just recently started swimming laps more, and she said someone came up to her and said, wanted her to make, make sure she knew the city's trying to close the pool, and they're doing their numbers wrong, and so this person, let's say if it was a male or female, um, has to come every morning and do the count because the city's not doing it correctly. And so I was just like, well, you know, trying to remain a neutral, but I just thought that was unfortunate. She said she was weirded out by it. So um, anyway, I think people are allowed to their opinion, but I just wanted them, you know, maybe just a record that people are allowed to swim without being accosted about certain things, so. Um, and with that, I will be done. And can we have a motion to adjourn? Can, can I just respond to that? I mean, it was, you know, it was one individual, and for example, Mark Cannon has come up with a wonderful community outreach idea for filling that nine to 10 slot with water mindfulness during the week, uh, on every Tuesday. And so, so where you have someone doing this, is whatever, aggressive, semi-aggressive thing, you've also got the other side where they're doing the, the calling in thing, which Oh, is, absolutely, you know. no, yeah, everyone has their own, you know, yeah, right. yeah. Po so much positive coming from it. I yeah, just yeah. wanted to make sure that, you know, this person felt intimidated by it. Absolutely, so. I'm glad you said it. And I also want to say yeah, calling in is- side. There's another side to Yeah, exactly. Yes, gotcha. Um, any motion, excuse me, to, ad oh. any motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Okay, yeah, a second? I'll second. Second, okay, motion adjourned, or meeting adjourned. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all for your time and for being on the commission. I just need to say that more often. Thank you.